Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced in isolation on Jarjarwarrung country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Happy May Day! Happy May Day! Last Friday was May Day and workers all over the world celebrated International Workers' Day. Due to COVID-19, things had to be done a bit differently. We'll hear from Rain who joined a small group of people who took to the streets of Melbourne on Friday. There were also car cavalcades in WA and Sydney and several online actions and gatherings in solidarity with workers. We'll also hear from some strong union women who addressed workers at the May Day webinar on Sunday. And we'll finish off with the May Day solidarity message from the Secretary of the May Day Committee in Melbourne, Lenny Cooper. There continues to be a struggle between the leadership and some members of the NTEU, with the latter continuing with a vote no concessions campaign. A tightly controlled meeting was held this week, with some members calling it an undemocratic farce, stating that the debate over concessions is the biggest debate this union has had in years. Hundreds of rank-and-file activists in members' meetings, casuals' committees and branch committees across the country have declared their public opposition to the union leadership's strategy not least of all the 800-plus members who have publicly signed the No Concessions petition over the last two weeks. Stick Together will continue to follow this story in the coming weeks. This week, the CFMEU and Master Builders Australia called on the National Cabinet to commit to a $10 billion social and affordable housing fund that would draw funding from federal, state and territory governments and institutional investors, including industry super funds. Australia has massive unmet need in social housing following decades of underinvestment by federal and state governments. The current shortfall is estimated to be around 450,000 dwellings. By 2036, that shortfall will have grown to over 700,000 dwellings. A social and affordable housing fund, guided by an industry strategy and run through the National Cabinet processes, would make significant inroads into that shortfall and provide a massive stimulus boost to the economy. Australia's past offers powerful lessons on how to build our way out of economic crisis. The post-Second World War housing construction boom in this country was driven by governments of the day realising the need for stable, affordable housing and being prepared to pay for it. Hundreds of thousands of homes were built, providing housing security for the Australian people and helping drive the economic boom that underpinned Australia's emergence as a quality of life superpower in the second half of the 20th century. On May Day, the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation, ANMF, said the federal government must guarantee that the additional $205 million COVID-19 funding for aged care providers is fully and directly used to employ more nurses and suitably qualified care staff and ensure the availability of appropriate personal protective equipment, PPE, to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. ANMF 
Federal Secretary Annie Butler said that with the funding provided to the aged care sector to manage COVID-19, now amounting to more than $850 million, aged care providers must address chronic understaffing and the ongoing shortages of PPE as a matter of urgency if Australia is to ensure the safety and protection of all nursing home residents. The Prime Minister said today that the new COVID-19 payment for aged care is aimed at reinforcing levels of safety and care for those who need it most, but he provided no guarantee to the Australian public that this will actually happen. Without clear transparent requirements of providers to publicly account for how they spend these funds, we cannot be confident that the money will be used to implement the safety measures that are urgently needed, Ms Butler said today. The most important measure to defeat the COVID-19 outbreak is to guarantee that the right numbers of staff with the right levels of skills are available to meet all needs of residents. This will require every facility to have registered nurses on duty every shift, sufficient numbers of experienced care workers and sufficient additional staff to undertake screening procedures and any other safety measures required. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Let's hear from Rain from the Camp Eureka Collective about what she got up to on May Day. So my name's Rain. I I'm a member of Melbourne for WikiLeaks and the Melbourne Anarchist Club and the Camp Eureka Collective. So I have an interest in May Day. I have never organised or anything with them before, but I have been to marches. But this year, because of what's happening and there was so little interest for people to actually do something, I felt like I had a duty to head down there and stand alongside my comrades at a 1.5 metre distance. Yeah. We spoke to people in Sydney and yeah. were inspired by yeah. what they do. Like, they, they were fantastic. They, I don't know why they don't have as much trouble with the police as we do in Melbourne, but, yeah. yeah. But because um, they had 100 cars and wow. they were very encouraging and they did contact um, different unions in Melbourne, as we did, but none of them wanted to take it up. Yeah. Um, there were, of course, there were individuals that came out on their own, but without the unions behind them, which was, I thought, a real shame. Uh, so how many people okay. ended up there and what did you actually end up doing? So you wanted to do a car oh, cavalcade originally or? Well, we, yeah, originally, but um, we discussed what happened at the No Worker Left Behind cavalcade mm. and the Refugee Action Collective cavalcade, and we yeah. thought, well, we're going to get a $1,652 fine in the car. We might as well just get it walking on the street. It's the same risk. And a few people that wanted to come on Mayday, they don't have cars. At least mm. half of the people don't have cars. So we thought all right, let's do it. Um, we thought we'd get umbrellas yeah. to keep the social distance to try and sort of stay away from each other and paint them up with slogans. It was probably a maximum of 30 people at the eight-hour um, monument. Yeah, so you started um, there. Yes, we met there uh, around 5.30, um, played the International. Jacob Greg did a little speech there. 
and then we were asked, do we want to go on a march? Shall we do it? What do people think? And we actually took a vote and it turned out most were in favour. So we're like, okay, off we go. Put some music on and uh, cross the road. <laughs> Didn't get very far. I reckon we got 200 metres max. It was just such a small group. So the police were on to us really quickly. Um, at that stage, we were given a direction to disperse. So we did disperse, but a small couple of groups of us went down different streets and met up down on Collins Street. And we, we actually went to the UK consulate to do a little shout, shout out for Julian Assange while we were there. And I kind of made a joke about it afterwards because we were like, wow, that was short. And I'm like, well, I think we, I think we made a record the shortest rally and the shortest march in history. <laughs> I've, I've dubbed it the 100 metre May Day march. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we just have to keep giving everything a go. Yeah. Even if it doesn't work so well, we've got to try it because then other people can see what happens. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. That was Rain from the Campirica Collective talking about her May Day activities and protesting in the time of coronavirus. Next we'll hear from Debbie Gunn from the Health and Community Services Union and Holly Barton, founding member of Hospo Voice, addressing the May Day webinar on Sunday. And we'll finish off with the May Day Solidarity Message from Lenny Cooper from the Mayday Committee. We work 24 hours a day, seven days per week, supporting those with disabilities and mental health condition, conditions. In the course of my disability work, I have seen the increasing and pervasive move towards privatisation and insecure work arrangements. This paves the way for the government and employers to try to erode our rights. It does absolutely nothing to increase the standard of care as provided as highly trained, highly skilled workers will exit the workforce. By working as a collective, our membership has secured some excellent rights and conditions, but the relentless battle continues. And we, but we also know that we, together we will win this. The COVID pandemic has provided a number of issues and challenges for our workforce on top of their regular duties. The fact that we've gone largely unrecognised in the headlines or media briefings has been a bit of a kick in the guts for our members. We have members crying out for better access to PPE and testing when and if they need it. Regardless of all of this, our members have turned up day in, day out to ensure our patients, residents and clients are provided the best care and support possible. Thankfully, of late, a little bit of recognition is starting to flow through for our members. Outside of COVID, our members work in dynamic, ever-changing and often unpredictable workplaces. People are unpredictable. As we work with people every day, we are never really sure what's gonna come our way on our shift. Unfortunately, occupational violence is all too prevalent in disability and mental health. Most employers wrongly chalk this up to just a part of the job. 
We know better and understand that nobody turns up to work and expects to get hurt. Regrettably, when our workers are injured, it is all too often that results in uh, significant trauma and lost time. As a result of this, Haksu and the broader union movement are working together to recognise injured workers. And we're having our first Injured Workers Day, which is scheduled for 1st of June this year. So keep a look out for those um, details and further details as they arise. Like all rostered workers, shift work is not family friendly. You often miss out on family gatherings, kids sports days, time with family and friends. Most of us do our jobs regardless of the issues because we believe in what we do. We believe we make a positive difference in people's lives and we genuinely believe people should be given every opportunity to reach their full potential and have happy, healthy and rich lives. Our workers in our industries, as workers in our industries, we fight for the right of the people that we work with and support. As unionists, we fight for our rights and we will continue to do so. Solidarity forever. Thank you. Arise, ye workers from your slumbers. Arise, ye prisoners of want. For reason in revolt outsunders, and at last ends the age of cant. So I've been asked first to speak about what May Day means to me. Um, so I'd just like to share a little bit about that. Um, it's always a really humbling experience to reflect on worker struggles of the past. After 40 years of neoliberalism and relentless tax on wor a working class organisation, it can often feel like this kind of struggle is out of our reach. But we must only look to the workers organising in the face of the current crisis across Australia and the world to connect our fight today with a proud history and an ongoing struggle. The terrain may change, but we are struggling against the same system a system built on exploitation and violence that prioritizes the interests of the few over the interests of the many, that divides us, exploits us, and kills us in those interests. Capitalism was built on the exploitation of workers and it thrives on the oppression of marginalized people. Another better world is only possible when working class people organize society in their interests. And the nature of that struggle remains the same. On May Day, we recognise that the interests of workers will not be pursued with the consent of our bosses. Workers' rights will not be handed down to us. They must be fought for, struck for, and wrenched out of the hands of the bosses who stand to profit from our exploitation. May Day is also a reminder that the hard-fought victories of workers' past can be snatched away from us today if we do not have the strength to defend them. In the context of the current crisis, our government and our bosses have made it abundantly clear that they will make working people pay for this crisis however they can get away with it. Our wages and our conditions are under attack, even as the essential role of labour in society, especially that of women and of migrant workers, has been laid bare for all to see. The extent to which the cost of the coronavirus, in both economic and health terms, will be borne by the oppressed people of the world is not so much a symptom of the virus itself, but rather of the violent and illogical system within which we live, a system incapable of meeting human need, a system that exacerbates the divisions between us, no matter how many times our leaders insist that we are all in this together. History has shown us that our strength is in our collective power. Workers must stand united or divided we will fall. Coming together in our unions is the first step in building the kind of workers' power that has won victories for us in the past and that will win, us, will, will win them for us in the future. The struggle continues and it must. So I've got pretty lofty aspirations, but there's a lot of hard work that needs to be done to get us there. Um, so I'm a barista and a founding member of POSPO Voice, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about the effect of the crisis on workers in my industry and how we're organising ourselves to fight back.
What's being brought into the focus in the crisis is the vulnerable position that hospital workers have been standing in all along. Insecure work, wage theft, and a massive power imbalance between bosses and workers are not new problems for hospital workers, but they've certainly been thrown into sharp relief. As this pandemic was unfolding, Hospo Voice launched a website to collect the stories of Hospo workers and their experiences during the crisis. So over 3,000 workers shared stories of losing jobs, losing shifts, losing wages. Um, and it's things like people sleeping on their mates' couches, people skipping meals to feed their kids, migrant workers trapped in Australia with no shifts and no support, and workers not getting the safety information that they need, while their bosses tell them instead that they should look clean for their guests' sake. The more I read these stories, the angrier I grew, and the common thread that runs through them is the powerlessness that workers feel, and that most vulnerable workers, the most vulnerable workers are the ones who are suffering the most in this crisis. Well, we in the union movement have an answer for that, and it rests in our collective power. In Hospo Voice, we're demanding that no workers should be left behind. We want Hospo workers to know that unionists say touch one, touch all for a reason, that we know that it is in all of our interest to stand up for every worker. We want to stress that fighting with the most vulnerable workers is not an act of charity, it's an act of solidarity, because the way to get power back in our hands is to stand together. But how do you stand together? How do you show collective power when we're not even in our workplaces, many of us, and when we can't march in the, as one in the streets? Well, I don't have a definitive answer and I wish I did, but we've definitely been trying. So one of the first things that we've done was when our first action was like a pots and pans video. So essentially there was a video going around on the internet um, with a bunch of celebrities singing about imagining having no possessions from their, from their mansions. And we decided that we don't care what these people have to say when we've got workers losing their jobs, losing their homes and losing their hope for this crisis. And then we also saw videos going around of people in Spain coming out onto their balconies and banging their pots and pans during the King's Address, coming together while staying safely apart to protest against the system which was sick before the pandemic started. So we thought, you know who uses pots and pans a lot? Hospital workers. We're the ones being ignored while our government bails out our bosses. How about we make some noise with them too? So we thought pots and pans, symbol of resistance in the time of coronavirus, and we decided to use them to speak up and demand that no worker is left behind. So our members, some of whom have never been involved in activism before, recorded videos of themselves banging pots and pans to the tune of Solidarity Forever. And they probably felt kind of silly doing it because I certainly did as well. But it was really, really cool because when we edited these videos together, you got the sense that you weren't alone, that your voice might you know, sound a bit weak and a bit feeble on its own. But when we're speaking together, it's loud and it's much harder to ignore. Um, we were a pretty creative bunch, so we didn't stop there. We followed up this action with our Put Your Apron Out campaign, where we painted the heart heartbreaking stories of workers onto aprons and we hung them at the front of some famous Melbourne bars. Then we got loads of people to do the same thing and to hang their apron out on their front door, their balcony and their fence. We wanted to send a message of solidarity to every worker who's been left behind and give workers the sense that they're part of something bigger. We also did a digital picket line on May Day itself, a panel hosted by hospital workers, including migrant and casual workers from across our industry, where we called on our co-workers to speak out and demand that Frydenberg, Frydenberg fix JobKeeper. We called our action Send Josh Your Pen, which feels pretty appropriate given that the government is constantly going on about drawing lines, and these lines are always drawn where ordinary people are left to starve, and on the other side of that line, businesses are throwing millions of dollars in bailouts. We wanted to make it clear that Frydenberg could include casual workers with a stroke of his pen, so we decided to send him our stories, why we need to change JobKeeper, and our pens, so he can go ahead and do it. We called his office, spammed his social media, and literally mailed him our pens. The message here, of course, is that politicians will never grant workers concessions unless we, grant, we, unless we force their hand. 
what all of our work right now is really about is trying to start a conversation with hospital workers across the country about what it means to be union and why we need one. During this crisis, it's only grown easier to make the argument that the extent of the problems we are facing is a consequence of an industry without a strong, in a strong union to defend ourselves with. We know that there are challenging times ahead of us, but these are dynamic times as well. We know that we must use this time to build workers, and we are. People have been joining our union in bigger numbers than ever before. In March, we had 137 people join Hospo Voice, which is twice our previous record. We've had workers joining Zoom meetings oh, with the country and joining our digital spaces to organize, build power and campaign for change. When the lockdown ends and we flood back to our workplaces, we're going to be union. And that's the first step to changing our industry from the ground up. It's not going to be easy, but if you don't fight, you lose. The lesson for every worker to come out of this crisis is when we look back on it, we'll know we got through it thanks to the workers across every essential industry that came together and stepped up to meet the challenge. We must stand in solidarity with the healthcare workers like Debbie, with the cleaners, the transport workers, the teachers and the supermarket workers, everyone on the front line of this emergency. And in knowing that our interests are tied together, we will fight for every worker that has been left behind by a system that puts profit before people. For hospital workers, the message is pretty clear. We are the workers who put food on the table in cafes, restaurants and bars across the country. We should never be put in a position again where we are left wondering how we will put food on our own, on our own tables. Um, thank you for having me. So May Day 2020 uh, continues to support uh, communities in their wide-ranging campaigns opposing the erosion of living standards and supporting the protection of the environment and the future of our planet. The First Nation people of Australia continue to be treated as citizens in their own land. This must end. We must continue to support their sovereignty, proper funding and land to enable them to run their own affairs. Today, it is estimated that 80 million people in the world are refugees and asylum seekers, displaced from their homes by war, oppression and economic crisis. They are almost universally mistreated and exploited. At May Day, once again, we must demand this mistreatment end and that all nations, including Australia, welcome them, support them, and unite with them, demanding an, e an end to their continuing detention. Millions of men, women and children have been and are being maimed, slaughtered and uprooted in wars and aggression by the big powers, waged for profit. May Day reaffirms its opposition to these imperialist wars and its and aggression, including the demand to end Australia's involvement in those wars. We condemn US aggression and Australia's support for it in places like Syria, Yemen, Lebanon, Afghanistan, Libya, Iran, Iraq, and other parts of the Middle East, and also on the Korean Peninsula. We condemn the big power war games in the South China Sea. We also stand with the global working class and their allies who are fighting right wing, and in some countries, even fascist governments and movements attacking their living conditions and basic democratic and human rights. The growth of fascist movements and governments has become a critical issue, which requires a steadfast and determined united front of the anti-fascist peoples of the world.
We condemn the, the vicious murder of Palestinians in their own territory and the grotesque plans of the Trump administration to try to destroy any possibility of the Palestinians re-establishing their homeland. We also demand that the US keep its hands off Latin America, including keeping out of the internal affairs of countries like Venezuela, Cuba, Bolivia, Nicaragua and others. The US and their allies must immediately lift their criminal sanctions applied on Venezuela, Cuba and over 30 other countries in the world. We condemn the Filipino United States fascist government of Duterte, which is slaughtering the Filipino people on the streets using fake evidence and no legal process and murdering thousands by government terrorism. We condemn the fascist government of Turkey for its oppression of the Kurdish people and other peoples in Turkey and for its aggression in Syria. We continue to condemn the British and US authorities for their mistreatment and fascist-like oppression of Julian Assange. It's 12. When in, fact he, when in fact he should be applauded for his assistance to the people of the globe in helping to expose the corruption, aggression and illegal behavior of the US authorities. Close to home, we continue to condemn the brutal Indonesian government oppression and violence against the West, against the West Papuan people and reaffirm our support for their self-determination and independence. Right across the world, except for a few countries, the system of private profit of capitalism is creating mass poverty, deprivation, hunger and oppression. It is creating wars with millions of victims it is destroying the planet through its pollution and exploitation. We should be demanding that the trillions of dollars spent on wars, war preparations and aggression be diverted to the people's needs. The current pandemic has demonstrated more clearly than ever that, for the, that the for-profit system of capitalism cannot serve the people of the world. It cannot serve their health, their living standards, their desire for peace or the health of the planet. We say all power to the millions of people mobilizing across the globe for democracy, for fair treatment and for liberation. May Day in Melbourne calls on all affiliates and individuals to urgently step up the movement in Australia to help transform the world for the people. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening and thanks to Rain for taking the time to talk to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember... Wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.